we have been studying 1 Peter. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to read a text, and we're going to do something rather different. Okay, so let's pray. Father, as we open your word, and as we seek to understand it and to be obedient to it, I pray uh, today, Lord, that you would use our time in your word to do just that, to uh, enlighten our minds and our hearts. And um, we're, we're commanded, Lord, to be able to give an answer or a defense to those who ask us about our hope. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would equip us now to do, do a great job at that and to represent you well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read it first. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a, and we're going to zero in on this word, a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And uh, we've, we've actually been on this passage for a couple weeks, but we're going to we're going to stay stuck here for at least this week and zero in on this word. Now, the, the ESV says, be prepared to make a defense. It's the, the word apologia from which we get the concept of apologetics. Other uh, Bible translations translate it to, to give an answer. Um, one says, be ready to explain. So the idea is, your lives are so different that people are saying, what's up with you? You seem to be different in the way you live and the way you deal with life. What's this hope you have? Well, let's go grab a cup, cup of coffee and let's talk about the Christian faith. And they're going to bring up questions and they're going to say, what, what about this? What about that? And the idea here is we need to be prepared to answer their questions, right? So this is called apologetics. Now, um, as you know, Caleb, who is our pastoral intern, um, he's finishing up his master's degree up at Trinity. And ever since he was a little kid, he's been fascinated with uh, theology, philosophy, and especially apologetics. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't know, read Josh McDowell's book, More Than a Carpenter. And, and, but he, I, turns out there's all kinds of apologetics and all kinds of different ways to approach this. So I thought what we would do today is not a, uh, a monologue, but have a, a dialogue between Caleb and myself. And by the way, this is, this is actually not a new format. Back in the early church, it said this, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And the idea here would be there would be uh, several people who would, would give a word 
and the others would interact with it. Um, so that's what we're going to do this morning. So, Caleb, come on up. Now there's two prophets up front. Come into the light, young grasshopper. Okay. Hi, everyone out there? Okay. <laughs> so, um, we also, uh, for, for quite a while, have been going down to Oswego, and we had a Bible study, and um, Caleb would lead it. And, but it was, it was open for questions, and I would jump in and ask him, and we would have this dialogue, and the people would just kind of sit back and go, is that what it's like in your house all the time? Yeah, it kind of is. You know? <laughs> um, and then uh, they said, well, you should do that on Sunday morning because, you know, you cover a lot of ground. So we, we really don't know exactly how this is going to go. No, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be nuts. It's going to go insane. Yeah. Yeah. So how about this? How about if I kind of interview you? Yeah. And we do have kind of a direction, but we're going to kind of, it's different than a sermon, right? So here's my question, Caleb. Yes. Can you give us kind of a framework or some categories of how we, ordinary mere mortals, mm -hmm. can approach this concept of apologetics? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think a really important first thing to notice is that the New Testament... The New Testament does talk about this idea of apologetics where you're engaging in dialogue with someone else, explaining why Christianity is rational and alluring. But, but it's important to see that that thing the New Testament talks about is not the same as this other thing, which gets a lot more weight in the New Testament, which is actually inviting people to follow Jesus. And we can call that evangelism or giving your testimony, but saying um, this, this Jewish man has captured my heart and my life, and I am following him, and I want you to follow him too. We call that evangelism or, or testimony, and it's kind of a religious word, but that's where the weight of the New Testament is, inviting people into the Jesus life. Also, the New Testament then puts a big weight on your biggest argument for why people should follow Jesus is because he has changed your life, even in this text. It's because your life is so different that people want to be a part of, of what it means to follow Jesus. That's where much of the weight in the New Testament is. And so it's easy to, to get like really down this rabbit hole of thinking about how to, how to do arguments and how to have this conversation and go back and forth and what about this worldview and that. The New Testament says this is a, an important thing to think about. When you actually sit down to talk with someone, how do you have that conversation? But before we make that um, really important, we need to remember the New Testament is primarily concerned with us being people who are inviting people to follow Jesus and living lives that make Jesus look alluring. That being said, there's also, it's important to be Jesus followers who can say, this is why I think I can follow Jesus and not throw my brain out. And, and here's why, actually, I think it, it would be rational and smart for you to follow Jesus also. So getting it, first of all, putting apologetics where it is in the New Testament is important. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's a great warning to go to this part of the text, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, so that's the attitude with which you do apologetics um, and hopefully your lives are so different that they're asking you, what do you have that I don't have? So I guess you could say, step one, 
be a, be a person who's so changed by Jesus that people are, are curious about him. Don't be a jerk, <laughs> right? That's, that's step one. But then the New Testament does say, think about how to have that rational conversation. So that's what we're doing right now. So um, I think of, of uh, Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win. There's that word win, not the argument, but to win the Jews, right? And to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So remember this. You can study apologetics and philosophy and uh, give all of your answers and win the argument and lose the person. Yeah. Right? The, the people who have the best evangelistic success are the people who just humbly follow Jesus. That I know in my life. Um, yeah. Okay. But that being said, it is, it is worthwhile, according to the New Testament, to think about how to have this conversation. So the first um, categories that I think would be really helpful, they're helpful. That once I had this in my head, my conversations with my secular friends were much more productive. We both walked away from the conversation feeling like we got somewhere, and it wasn't one person trying to hurt the other person. Uh, once I got these categories, it was... It was Helpful to make those conversations worthwhile. Um, these, so these are, yeah, I, I call it, they're like, they're buckets. And every conversation you have in apologetics can go into one of these three buckets, okay? The first type of conversation is um, accounting for, which is to say if someone says, I can't be a Jesus follower, I, I don't think I can join the Christian group because of this reason. This is holding me back. At that point, you are then, you're not playing defense, you're not trying to show why that was a dumb objection. You're trying to say, I totally, I get, I understand your critique. Can I try to account for what you've said so that I believe I, I can really honestly follow Jesus with my mind and make sense of your critique? I'm, I'm accounting for what you have just brought up. That was an honest, thoughtful objection, and I'm going to account for it and show you that I think I can still follow Jesus rationally in, in spite of what you just said. So, so accounting, uh, now there's a, a guy, John Frame, mm -hmm. who um, he categorizes it and uses the word defending or defensive apologetics, where somebody's going to say, you Christians don't understand this and this doesn't make sense, and here's how you defend that. And you would choose to use the word accounting which is less combative? It's less combative. It's saying that is legitimate objection. That, that came from your heart. That is a thoughtful objection. And I, I, um, but I, I really think I can still, without being defensive or trying to show why that was dumb, I really think I can follow Jesus in light of what you've said. And just realizing that's a, that's a type of conversation. So sometimes you can see someone will say, well, Christians are wrong because of this. No, well, you're wrong because of this. Well, you've just switched a bunch of categories, and you're not getting anywhere. Deal with objections as they come before moving on to something else. And, and leave them with their humanity. In other words, yeah. you're, you're not you, walking away saying, I beat them and they're stupid. You, you may feel better having won the argument, but you've destroyed the person. Yeah. Okay. So, so accounting for, the point is that's just a type of conversations to have. Right. Okay, the second type of conversations is critiquing. And critiquing would be to say, um, the, the way you're living or the belief system that you're kind of in right now 
as a Jesus follower, these are some issues I think I see. This is why I couldn't live life or believe the things you believe. Can you try to account for these objections I see? Which is very different than saying, here's four reasons why your worldview is dumb, and you're either dumb or you have to convert. Those are your only options. Right. I, I'm trying to say, look, from where I'm standing, your belief system, it, these are really issues that I see. Can you try to account for these? Okay. And that, that's a second type of conversation. It's, it's categorically different than accounting for. You're critiquing how they're living and, and what they're saying. Right. Yeah. And then the third one? And then the third one is, is what I mentioned already. That's inviting. Actually saying, Jesus has changed my life. I am a part of a community full of changed lives, and I want you to be a part of what Jesus has done. That's different than the apologetics battle. Right. That's saying why he is beautiful and worth following and life-changing. Right. And if you never get to inviting, it doesn't matter how great your apologetics were. Right. So, so if... if uh, you just go home and think about those categories, and then the next time you have a dialogue with somebody, you say, oh, what kind of a, a question is that? And what kind of a response should it be? Just even putting it in the right bucket should help a lot. It, yeah, and this isn't, um, these aren't, as the professional, professional logician teaching you categories, this is, um, as a person who's had a lot of conversations with people of different worldviews and faith backgrounds, this is like actually helpful. I've had more productive conversations uh, because of just thinking this way. Okay. All yeah. right. So let's actually do some of this. Is so. everyone good? Everyone? Yeah. You have to. If you, if uh, mom's got it. Okay. <laughs> She's smart. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk about accounting. So here, the unbeliever is going to raise some objections of, and some concerns of why they are not believers. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of put our heads together, and it's shiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so what's the number one reason, the number one reason people leave the faith or walk away from church is hypocrisy, all right? How can you be a Christian when so many Christians are such hypocrites? Okay, so while, while we go to school and we learn how to defend the resurrection of Jesus and the inspiration of Scripture and all this, on, on a street level, most people who aren't interested say, yeah, I grew up with that, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm not interested, right? Yeah, so, this is... Um, so if you, if you poll secularists for why they're not Christian, that's different than this poll. There, this was a, a poll of people who used to be Christian. Um, they know the Bible, they know the songs, they go to church, they know the whole thing, and they've walked away from faith. The number one reason why those people give for leaving, by scores of percentage points, is um, Christians don't live like how Jesus says they should. So I'm out. Not not theological issues, not Ken Ham issues. It's you don't live like, like him. Um, so here, here's, here's how I would respond, or here's how I have responded in actual conversation. Um, first of all, it's important to understand whether they are making this objection out of actual emotional hurt. They have personally been hurt by someone, which is its own conversation. If actual Christians have used religion to bully you, that's, it, that's its own type of conversation. 
if they're doing an actual argument, if they're presenting an actual reason why I can't be a Christian, the argument would be something like this. It's not just saying, I feel hurt. It's saying, Jesus was a false prophet. He promised a different kind of people. Whatever else he promised, he said, I'm starting a new kingdom where we love each other and we live, we live in cruciform lives like how Jesus lived. We want to accept people we aren't quick to judge. He said he was going to start a kingdom full of new kinds of people, and he's a false prophet. That's the rational version of this objection. It's different than just saying, I got hurt. It's saying he was wrong. Do you get the, the there's a difference between an emotional objection and a rational he promised different, and you're just like other religions. You use your rightness to feel right, and you use your rightness to show why they're wrong, and you're happy about it. So if you go to like a Dale Carnegie class on how to win friends and influence people, and you graduate from the class, but you have no friends, and you're not very influential to people, yeah. they're going to say, Dale Carnegie doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a false teacher. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, there's an emotional version, and I actually have... I have my notes, too. You have a nice leather binder. Yeah. I, see. see. This is modern. This is... Millennial. Millennial. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The first thing I would point out in actual conversation is it is a category mistake to say, I can't be a Christian because of how other Christians have treated me. The question is, you have to make a decision about who that man was. The Jew in the first century who, who said these things, who died on a cross, and who rose from the dead, you have to make a decision about whether he is who he said he was. And there are lots of Christians who misuse religion, and they look just like the world, but they're doing it with Christian vocabulary. That is horrible, but you, we need to, in this type of conversation, really... Um, Try to make that person make a decision about Jesus. Was that first century Jewish man who he said he was? And I'm really sorry about, about all the other stuff, but, but getting them to see it's a, log it's a category mistake to say the citizens don't behave like the king, so the king can't be right. We're looking at the king, not the citizens. So, so try to get the, the conversation off of the hypocrites that they may have genuinely experienced Back on to Jesus, let's look at his life, his teachings. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, I, don't you think there is a place, though, to acknowledge, yeah, you're right. There, the church is full of, whether you want to call them hypocrites or sinners, are very imperfect people. Yeah. Um, and, and at this point, you could point out that Jesus, Jesus already thought of this critique. Like, whatever critique you have of Christians, Jesus was already there. There will be many people who claim my name, claim the name of Jesus, and live just like the world. They like to feel like they're the in crowd and exclude the out crowd, and they're going to not live up to the moral standards they say they should. And So here's, here's a verse maybe you've seen before. Uh, on that, this is Jesus talking. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He said many will be in his, uh, his group who name his name. They think they are Christians. But then he calls them workers of lawlessness. Obviously, that means they were hypocritical in their lifestyle. Right. Yeah, whatever, whatever skepticism you can come up with, Jesus beat you to it. Yeah. <laughs> he was a better skeptic of his own followers. 
Okay, so, so uh, one response is focus on Jesus, not on the people. Two, you know what? What you're observing is exactly what Jesus said would happen. But now, where would you take it from there? I w it's important in, in my conversations that I've had with people to, to end on saying that there is a lot of hypocrisy. Jesus predicted it. But the spirit of Jesus really has changed my life. I, I used... Uh, and you, at this point, give the ways in which you used to be addicted to the flesh, slaves of what the Bible calls powers of the air, the prince of this age, and by following this man, my life is different. I am a different kind of person, and I am in a community full of different kinds of people. And this isn't a theoretical objection to their objection. It is saying, Jesus is risen because my life wouldn't be what it is without him, and I'm full of, I'm around other people who are in the same spot. And if you can't, if you can't get to the personal answer to their objection, um, noth nothing you say theoretically will, will work. You have to have an actually different life and be able to point to that as evidence of the reality of Jesus. Not a perfect life. Not a perfect but, life. But a different life. So, so you're shifting the focus off of the person they've been burned by onto Jesus and now you're going to counter their experience with your experience. He, he right? promised a new kind of people. He said, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, and it's here because I'm in it. Yeah. So, so now, here's, now, put on the Pastor Brian hat. Um, so Jesus said this, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, so so here's, here's the application we got to step up our game, not in answering all the objections, but in loving one another. And, and I would say the country and even the church is more divided today than it's ever been. All right? And every time we choose to advance that division, and I don't just mean in the room, but online, or um, we are, we're, we're giving the world an impression. So do, do you think the people that you're trying to witness to see that you have a love for the brethren, for the larger church? Um, or is it just kind of fun to jump into the fray and, and give your opinion and, and divide more and more, okay? Now, I'm not saying um, that there aren't very real issues and very real differences that need to be discussed, but we're back again to how do you do it? Do you still give dignity and honor to the person you're talking to? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good? By the way, we are going to be cut it off at like 11.10, yep. 11.12, yep. no matter where we are. So no one worry that... They've got six more points planned, and you can't eat until we get it. Yeah. We'll just end at 11.10 when no matter where we are. Okay. Okay. I can right. feel everyone, no, this is going to take forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they start counting the tiles. Right. All right, so, um, let, uh, so, so that's, that's the first objection. Churches that is the number it. one objection that ex-Christians in this country give. It's important to think through what to say to that person. Okay. And that's what I have said and would recommend we say. So, so now, the second objection that I think, okay, so I became a Christian back in the 80s, and now it's, what is it, 2010s. 
This objection, I think, has risen very close to the top. Um, didn't really bother me, but it bothers a lot of people today, and that is, um, how can you say Christ is the only way that seems so narrow-minded? So the, the exclusive claim that Christ is the only way, and you're saying, so there's, there's a lot of objections, you're saying all the others are going to hell, and everyone else is wrong, and you're even looking down on that culture or this culture, and so there's a lot of hot-button issues in this claim of exclusivity. Yeah, well, um, so, so this comes from a poll of not ex-Christians, but people who have always been secular and are happy to be secular. Why, why aren't you a Christian? And there was three answers that rose to the top, uh, much higher than all the others, and this was one of those three, the exclusivity issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've had this conversation a lot, um, or enough times to, it's enough times that I know it's a big issue. Um, the first thing to understand is, again, what kind of objection, feel out what they're saying. Like, talk to them about what they mean by this. They might be saying um, some type of postmodern, post-foundationalist, post-structuralist, post-everything statement, which is no one can know anything, uh, every truth claim is equally oppressive. The number of people who are that post-posty um, is very small. They're probably not saying no one can know anything and every truth claim is irrational. If they are saying that, the obvious answer is, is that an objective truth claim? <laughs> is it an objective truth claim that all truth claims are irrational? Did you get that? Okay. That's there, like a jujitsu move where they're, <laughs> they're claiming that there's no truth. Is that true? Right? Yeah. Right. That's right. right. Yes. Right. Now, the, the number of people who are that, po uh, who, who really believe that, that there can't, no one can know anything, is very, it's a very small amount of people. Um, more likely, what the objection is, is Christians aren't just saying they know what the truth is. They're saying everyone else who's wrong is spending eternity in conscious torment. That's the objection. Yeah. So... Um, and, and here, I, in fact, I, I quoted the verse, you know, many will say to me, and the road is narrow, and okay, I think we, especially Bible-believing Christians, we need to ask ourselves a question, what is the heart of God towards the lost, okay? Yeah. So, so I, I, got, I have a bunch of verses and, and I think maybe, I, I guess the, the issue here would be, rather than answering their objection, maybe we need to do some heart evaluation. Uh, if we can just coldly say, yep, a lot of people going to hell, but I'm in. Next question. I think maybe we're missing the heart of God. So, so for example, here is in Ezekiel 33.11, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel the emotion? Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, the assumption is if they die in their sin, it's not good, but it's not a cavalier, oh well, right? 
Um, and, and especially, okay, especially if you understand the whole concept of election and predestination, we can become cold-hearted, right? But, but whatever your understanding is of that, you've still got this heart issue, God's heart issue, to factor into how you view the death of the wicked. Okay? Yeah. Keep going? Yeah. All right, so another one. All right, so, so uh, like so many things, the answer is look to Jesus on the cross. And what do we see Jesus' attitude is toward those who have just crucified him? Uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, if it were me, I'd like, get them, Lord. You know, they deserve to go to hell. And I mean, crucified, yet look at his heart on the cross. And then our friend the thief on the cross, who's cursing at Jesus, and then at some point he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and I think that gets into the whole question of how much, the, how much accurate theology do you have to have to truly be in? Okay. Now, now my, my thing is this. When you're trying to witness to people, uh, you, know, you should uh, assume they're guilty until proven innocent. In other words, keep going after them until they really get it. Once they die... Um, I think your attitude should be, I don't, know what hap- I, I don't know what happened in that last moment. I don't know. Um, I, I'm, ho- I'm going to trust the justice and the graciousness and the love of God. And I am trusting the heart of God in his attitude toward those sinners who just crucified him and who, who are dying next to him. Um, yeah. In, in conversation, I think the two... The two pictures I present to the person raising this objection that have been helpful is one, um, in the Bible we get one clear picture of God. You're not allowed to make images of God. We, we don't have a picture of God. We have one picture of what God is like. And the clear picture of what God is like is a Jewish man dying for his enemies, praying for them while they nail him to a cross. Mm-hmm. Whatever God is like, that is the clearest picture we have of his heart. He's not, any version of God that happily damns lots of people isn't the type of God commensurate with that picture of him. So um, that, then uh, I, I think you also have to factor in Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. In other words, this is a picture of people from all nations, which is why we go to Tanzania and we go to India and we go, uh, we, we, don't, we do believe that we need to go and to get the gospel out there. This is a vision of, of victory, though, and I'm going to play the mystery card here. I don't necessarily know how to reconcile mm. <laughs> um, this final picture. Uh, with when you look at the stats in the world, it can be very depressing. But I, I, I have hope and trust in the justice and the mercy and the grace of God. Okay? Yeah. 
Um, maybe one, one more. Uh, Abraham said to God, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? He, he didn't quite understand what God was going to do. He calls God's justice into question. But by the time you're done reading the text, you go, oh, okay, God did what was right. So I, I think we can, we can say this. In the end, every person who ends up in hell is justly there, and they don't want to be in heaven. Good? Uh, yeah, in God's good, new, recreated world where King Jesus wants to make the world what it was intended to be, no one who really wants to be there and submit to Lord Jesus, God is going to say sorry. Yeah. And anyone who doesn't want to participate in God's world doesn't have to. Everyone who wants to participate in God's good world under the Lordship of Jesus. God's the type of God who says to the leper, the leper says, if you're, will, if you're willing, heal me. And Jesus says, of course I'm willing, I will heal you. Yeah. That's who God is. Of course I'm willing. I will heal you. So, so it's not a, um, like you're talking to somebody who's, you believe all those people are going to hell? If you, if you focus their attention on Jesus on the cross, in the heart of God, I think it might be an interesting uh, new direction where the conversation goes. Yeah. Right? Okay. All right. So let's, let's want to get one more in here. Critiquing. They, they get to decide. One more? Okay, that All was right. like a half yeah, we'll that go. Was, that was like <laughs> All right. Well, I want to do something, so, you know, all right. I'll do my thing, and then... Perfect. Okay, so critiquing. So now we're shifting from, we've kind of been put on the ropes. Yeah, does everyone get those categ category shifting? Those were critiques coming at, you can't follow Jesus with this issue, and we were accounting for, I think you can follow Jesus in spite of this legitimate objection you've raised. Now we're moving towards, we're going to offer a critique. Maybe I don't see why secularism makes sense. Can you answer this for me? Yeah, so now we've had to answer. Now, a question for you. So here's, here's a critique. As a believer in the God of the Bible, I believe my view of reality better accounts for the existence of the universe and the complexity of the universe better than a view without him. Okay, so that's how, that's how I see it. Can you explain to me um, how we got here? How does your view explain how we got here and the complexity of stuff? I, I call it the argument from stuff and the argument from cool stuff, right? The argument of st from stuff is Things just don't pop into existence, but the ex explanation without God for how we got here is we popped into existence one day, mm -hmm. right? And then, look around, it's kind of cool, cool stuff, right? Um, so here, you talk a bit, and I'm going to go get my <laughs> illustration. Um, I think pointing out that for the Christian worldview, the, the most fundamental thing about reality is the love of God within the Trinity. And that beauty and love expresses itself in the world. The most fundamental thing of reality is the beauty we find in nature and, and flowers and waterfalls and penguins. The, the beauty of reality makes so much sense if reality is the result of a creative, loving mind. If reality is the result of, of unexplained chaos, beauty is an illusion or an accident. The most fundamental thing is atoms, and beauty is accidental. For us, the beauty of nature is reality, and actual 
laws of the universe are just things God is using as conventions. We, yeah. We're explaining the, the fundamental thing about reality is, isn't just how it got here, but also it's beautiful. And that makes perfect sense if it comes from the mind and heart of a God who's always been in love with his triune self. So there are all these arguments about like where did beauty come from and where did uh, even the earth come from and then we get into the expanding universe and the red shift and Fermilab's actually involved in this and the Hubble telescope and expanding matter and blah, 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 blah. Bottom line, if, you're, if you don't believe in God and you believe that uh, there's a naturalistic explanation, everybody believes there was a point where there was nothing and then there was something. And you can try to argue that with people. Here's what I do. As a magician, I get uh, one of my dish towels. We got this in, in Ireland because there's little sheep on it, right? And I make something appear. Thank you. Right. Now, the reason I do that is not just to have fun, but you know what they're going to say is, where did you hide that? Because you know that it was hidden somewhere, and then I snuck it somewhere because things don't pop into existence. And your immediate emotional reaction is, where did he hide it? Except when it comes to the universe, we throw out that category as a scientist and go, oh, it popped into existence. That's scientific. And, and just that stark, wait a minute, um, we really don't think that way until we go to college, right? Um, <laughs> go, to, go to college. <laughs> um, but then, then the other argument is if I told somebody, hey, I'm, I'm reaching my pocket and there's some dirt in there and there's some fuzz bunnies in there and then, oh, look, there's a smartphone in there and what happened was all the lint and stuff in the pocket banged around for I've had these pants for a long time. In fact, they've been, they've been handed down throughout many generations of the Smith family. So there's been lots of fuzz bunnies and things. And now it just kind of formed into this. And I can push buttons and uh, have access to all information in the world and talk to people and read books. And they're going to go, you're nuts. That, that's, a, that was a, that's a phone that is very complex, and it had to be made by, in this case, Samsung. Um, it didn't just accidentally bang around. Yet this, the, the answer to without God, how did we get here? One day, all matter popped into existence, and then over billions of years, it turned into smartphones. And I, so my approach is to simplify things with simple illustrations like that, and I, I think most lay people go, yeah, that's really what we're, 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 we're thinking. Without God, we banged around and now there's people, right? Hmm. So, um, we're done. We're done. All right, so, so how would you sum up what we learned? Oh, oh, can I, can I do one last thing? Let me, let me close with this, okay? Um, So, actually, the book of Job, God is not arguing for his existence to Job. He's arguing for his wisdom to Job. 
But the way he does it can be used to argue for, for his existence simply by pointing to God's creation. And here in Job 39, he says to Job, Did you give the horse his might? Do you clothe, clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exalts his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattled the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, ah, he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. It is by, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? And we could put animal after animal, human after human, beautiful sunset after beautiful sunset and say, really? That's all just an accident? Or doesn't the, the beauty and the order and the complexity of the world scream that there is a God? All right. So let me pray. Lord, as... Um, we contemplate this. I pray that, uh, that what we covered today would help us to think about how to give an answer. Um, Lord, as we do it, remind us we're not just winning an argument. We're trying to win the person to Christ. So uh, maybe some of us, Lord, need to just work on uh, who we are before even what we say. But then, Lord, um, I pray you would bring us in line with, with people at work, people in our families, people in our neighborhood, um, where we can actually sit down and have conversations like this um, and ultimately invite them to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.